Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Give Up Your Worries, Give In to Joy. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, October 9th, 2011. Be anxious for nothing, writes Paul in this week's epistle to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul's words echo those of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount, where five times Jesus tells his followers, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about money or the morrow. Don't worry about anything at all, for God knows what you need. Who doesn't long to live like that, free of anxiety and full of joy? It's easier said than done, of course, but possible nonetheless. We all know people who radiate genuine and not merely superficial joy. My friend Paul comes immediately to mind. This week I attended a reading by the nature poet Mary Oliver with a group from our church. Thanks to the recommendation of a friend, the last several weeks I've enjoyed her two collections of poems called Thirst from the year 2006 and then Swan from the year 2010. With 30 books of poetry and prose, a Pulitzer Prize, and a National Book Award, the New York Times described Oliver in 2007 as far and away this country's best-selling poet. What surprised some of Oliver's readers is that after the death of Molly Malone Cook in 2005, her partner of 40 years, much of her poetry became what one critic called, quote, overtly Christian, end quote. In her book Thirst, for example, there are poems about Gethsemane, the Eucharist, prayer, the donkey who bore Jesus into Jerusalem, and what she calls the strange, difficult, beautiful church. And then finally in her poem Six Recognitions of the Lord. Oliver's love of creation has led to worship of the Creator. You cannot cross one hummock or furrow, but it is his holy ground, she writes. As a person who inherited a worry gene, and in light of this week's epistle about joy and anxiety, I've especially appreciated the candor of Mary Oliver's poem called I Worried. It's from her book Swan. Like all great poets, she's able to describe what we ourselves experience. Listen to her poem, I Worried. I worried a lot. Will the gardens grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it, and I am, well, hopeless. 
Is my eyesight fading or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. Some of our anxieties stem from an exaggerated sense of responsibility for things over which we have no control. In Oliver's poem, like redirecting a river or instructing the sun, we also worry about the past we can't change, about things done and things undone. Some of Oliver's other worries are more concrete, like deteriorating eyesight from staring at the printed page for 50 years. In still other poems, Mary Oliver laments unrequited love, brokenness, darkness, and what she calls the dull, brutish ways of mankind. Loving another person is fraught with complications, she observes, and sometimes she says she gives in to, quote, my sudden, sullen, dark moods. And in Six Recognitions of the Lord, she confesses, quote, when I first found you, I was filled with light. Now the darkness grows, and it is filled with crooked things, bitter and weak, each one bearing my name. So, our sluggish spiritual progress can cause us worry. And then there are what Oliver calls, quote, all the imponderables for which we have no answers, end quote. We all have our own worries, some imagined and some very real. Will my son get a job? Why was my daughter struck with a depression so dark that she quit school? The purest and most powerful form of fear, says the Australian poet Les Murray in his book Killing the Dog, a memoir of depression, is what he calls intransitive fear. In other words, fear that has no direct object. The deep dis-ease of, quote, I fear is far worse than the episodic I'm afraid of X. The presence of joy does not require the absence of fears. The Apostle Paul even admitted to his own conflicts without and fears within, 2 Corinthians 7.5. And the Desert Father St. Macarius of Egypt in the 5th century had wise advice. He writes, I am convinced that not even the Apostles, although filled with the Holy Spirit, were therefore completely free from anxiety. <clears throat> Contrary to the stupid view expressed by some, the advent of grace does not mean the immediate deliverance from anxiety. <clears throat> Nor does joy require favorable circumstances, a bigger house, a better car. We all know rich people who are miserable in poor people who radiate equanimity, dignity, and joy. This counterintuitive reality, which is so evident when you travel in the two-thirds world, is one of the many gifts that the rich can receive from the poor. Why are these people, in such abysmal circumstances, so joyful? And why am I, 
so privileged, agitated, and empty. Joy is not an emotion that I manufacture by willing myself into a good mood. It's a gift from God when we, in the words of 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. Paul calls it a fruit of the Spirit. Joy, writes C.S. Lewis, is never in our power. He once described it as a, quote, an unsatisfied desire, which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both are in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. Pleasure, in Lewis's view, is the counterfeit of joy. Genuine joy, says Mary Oliver, is irrepressible. Joy intrudes upon us at unlikely times and in the darkest of places. We shouldn't resist it. In her prose poem called Don't Hesitate, from her book Swan, she writes, <clears throat> If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instance when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. And so, give up your worries and give in to joy. For books this week, I review the Australian poet, Les Murray. The title of his book is called Killing the Dog, A Memoir of Depression. New York, Farrer, Strauss, and Giraud, 2009. The book is 86 pages. In 1985, Les Murray left Sydney, Australia and returned to his family roots in a farming valley in order to care for his aging father. The first year went fine, but what he calls returning to live in the place from which I'd always felt displaced was risky business. In fact, he writes, what I didn't know was that I was heading home in order to go mad. If home conceals old bad stuff you had not mastered the first time around, going back there, especially perhaps as you approach your 50s, is an invitation to crisis. In the first part of this small volume, pages 1 to 37, is an eloquent and painful memoir of what he calls the Black Dog, Churchill's name for his own depression, tingling fingers, uncontrollable weeping, panic attacks, cardiac events both real and imagined, 
The efforts to untangle cause and effect. Victim addiction. Inexplicable remissions and recurrences. The drug regimens and numerous hospitalizations. In Murray's experience, parsing a complicated family history proved both necessary and painful. In the end, he concluded that you can never really kill the black dog. You can only learn about it. Many critics count Les Murray as one of the leading poets of the English language. This is his 13th book of poetry. Following the prose memoir of depression, the second half of the book is comprised of 25 poems. The poems give vivid expression to his sickness. There's a fellow crying in Martin Place. They can't stop him. And in one called Panic Attack, the brain was a void or a blasted out chamber, shreds of speech in there, shatters of lust and prayer. The poems also describe the roots of his depression in acute class consciousness, a complicated relationship with his mother who died in childbirth, and bitter memories of the ridicule and cruelty of his classmates which he calls the true curriculum of the schools. In the end, and to his credit, Les Murray enjoys today more self-awareness and at least a degree of less self-absorption. The Australian poet Les Murray, Killing the Black Dog, a memoir of depression. For movies this week, I review a film called Nostalgia for the Light. It's from the country of Chile. The Atacama Desert on Chile's Pacific coast is by some accounts the driest place on earth. Some weather stations there have never recorded any rain at all. Because the air is so dry and the skies are so clear of any artificial light, Atacama has attracted astronomers from around the world. Science fell in love with the sky, notes one person interviewed for this documentary film. Then there are the archaeologists of Atacama who study the thousand-year-old rock carvings. But the sands of the Atacama hold still other secrets, too, namely the mass graves and concentration camps of the Pinochet dictatorship. Most of this film, then, is devoted to the women who for 30 years have sifted the desert sands in search of their lost loved ones, who, if found, have been remarkably preserved and mummified by the dry desert soil. Human memory exerts its own gravitational force, drawing people back to the Atacama Desert to make peace with their national history. Nostalgia for the Light from Chile. <clears throat> and for poetry this week, we review one of the poems from Les Murray's book, Killing the Black Dog. The title of the poem is called Where Humans Can't Leave and Mustn't Complain. 
Where humans can't leave and mustn't complain, there some will emerge who enjoy giving pain. Snide universal testing leads them to each one who will shrivel reliably, whom the rest will then shun. Some who might have been chosen, a natural police, do routine hurt, the catcalling, the giving no peace. But dull brilliance evolves the betrayals and names that sear dignity in life like interior flames. Hormones get enlisted and consistency rehearsed by self-avengers and failures getting in first. But this is the eye of fashion. Its sniggering stare breeds silenced accomplices. Courage proves rare. This models revolution. This draws flies to start pools. This is the true curriculum of schools. Les Murray, where humans can't leave and mustn't complain. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October the 9th, 2011. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.